Okay, so uh, last week we were thinking about the call of Moses and the things that God did to prepare him for the work ahead. And I mentioned that um, Moses appeared to have learned humility. And I said that on the basis of verse 11, where Moses indicated that he didn't feel worthy of the task that God was asking him to do. And I was also making a bit of an assumption that Moses, as a prince of Egypt growing up in Pharaoh's palace, probably had more reason than many to feel confident in his abilities. But things changed, didn't they? He had become a fugitive. He was a foreigner in a foreign land, to use his own words. And now, far removed from whatever duties he had in the palace, he had now taken a few steps down the... Um, the career ladder, so to speak, and he was working just as a, as a humble shepherd. But was it humility that we saw in chapter 3? Maybe a little, which is why I mentioned it, but I think actually uh, the reason why it was relevant to mention it last week is that the experiences that Moses had been through showed that he was definitely on the path to um, humility. But I think when we read in chapter 4 shortly about Moses trying to avoid the responsibilities that God was giving to him, I don't think that was about humility at all. I think it's more likely that he had lost confidence in his abilities. Remember, he'd killed an Egyptian. He thought that was the right thing to do at the time, and it had come back to bite him. He tried to intervene in a fight between two of his own people, and they had resented him for it. And now even Pharaoh wanted him dead. We could quite imagine Moses thinking to himself that he couldn't do anything right. I guess um, we can sometimes feel like that, can't we? Have you ever doubted yourself or lost confidence? Have you ever done something that you thought was the right thing to do and actually made things worse? Have you ever spoke up, given your opinion, and discovered that literally no one <laughs> shares, shares your point of view? Have you ever tried to help someone and found your motives being questioned? Have you done anything and regretted it afterwards and said to yourself, I won't make that mistake again. Um, experiences like that um, <coughs> don't make us humble, um, but they can make us less confident. And I think sometimes we confuse um, self-confidence and self-esteem with, with humility. Lacking confidence is not humility. The Lord wants us to be humble and confident, and he's given us good reason to be so. Low self-esteem isn't humility. Believing that others are more worthy and more deserving and more capable than we are is not humility. Far from pleasing the Lord, self-belittlement can actually provoke the Lord's anger, not pleasure, as Moses was going to find out, and we're going to read about it shortly. To... Um, <coughs> believe that we are not able when God has provided so many resources for us 
is not humility, it's just a lack of faith. Of course, we all lack faith um, in varying degrees, so it's going to be good for us to learn today that God is so patient um, with us. But I wanted to say something about humility, because I had said last week that Moses was... um, complimented in a sense and we assume that it wasn't Moses who actually um, put this verse into the book of Numbers chapter 12 where it said that he was really you know the most humble person um, of all but I think that actually the humility of Moses was seen later on in his life after he'd become the great leader that God uh, made him to be I think it's similar to one of my favorite examples of the humility of the Lord Jesus uh, that we find in uh, John chapter 13 where it first says that Jesus knew how great he was. It says that he knew he'd come from God, he was going back to God. He knew he was a son of God. And then it says he chose to wash his disciples' feet. Great humility is seen in the context of greatness and ability, not the other way around. It says in Romans 12 that we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, But it doesn't say that we should regard ourselves as less than we are. And then it goes on to talk about how we have been enabled in a mighty way with the spiritual gifts that God gives to allow us to do the things that he wants us to do. So yes, we should use sober judgment, as Romans 12 says, so that we are aware of our weaknesses. But even in our weaknesses, we have no reason to lack confidence. confidence, um, Because... As um, 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 says, um, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And that's what Moses was going to find out. So with all that in mind, I'm going to read the passage now. Um, So it's Exodus chapter 4. I'm going to read down to um, verse 18. Um, I am going to refer to a few verses later on in the chapter, but just for the sake of time, I think the um, the first 18 verses will give us the gist of the story. So I'm reading from the New International Version as uh, usual for me. So if if that makes it difficult for you to follow along in your own Bible, then do feel free just to listen. So verse 1. Moses answered. This is after God had been setting out in chapter 3 what he wanted him to do. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak. And when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second For if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent 
neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if, you, as if he were your mouth, as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. We'll uh, leave the, uh, the story there. So let's uh, think first about how Moses behaved and how God responded, because I think there are, there are lessons for us um, in all of that. Let's put all the negatives on the table first. So, verse 1, he expresses doubt. Doubt that the people would believe him, that they would listen to him, even though God had said that's what they would do. In verse 10, he claims that he's not good enough. He's not a good enough speaker to be God's messenger. In verse 13, after God had provided him with more assurances, he's still reluctant, asking God to send someone else instead. (coughs) In um, the last verse we read, and the reason why I just moved into that sort of almost a different section of the story, we find that the reason he gives to his father-in-law for going back to Egypt makes no reference to what God had told him to do and what God had said would happen. It seems to me that he's still lacking faith, still lacking confidence that God would do these amazing things. Moses is thinking to himself, you know, a few weeks' time I'm going to be back here with me, uh, with my father-in-law, and he didn't want to have egg on his face. And finally, and we, this is right towards the end of the chapter in verses um, 24 to 26, but we learn there, and it's a bit of a difficult passage, you do have to read it a few, a few times to try and make sense of what's going on. Um, but we learn there that Moses hadn't circumcised his son, um, even though that had been a command that had been given to Abraham, which was applicable to all Abraham's um, descendants. And we, we don't know exactly why Moses hadn't done that. We can speculate. Uh, he may have been ignorant of God's earlier um, commands, But I'm not so sure that is the case, um, because at the last minute, Moses' wife, a Midianite, um, she knew exactly what to do. So it seems to me that the two of them had talked about it at some point and had just decided um, not to do it. Uh, I do wonder whether it was because Moses had been brought up as an Egyptian and whether or not he... Uh, let's, give him, let's assume that maybe he did know something of the traditions of his people and the, the commands of the past. He just didn't seem to be that committed to them. So the whole bunch of things there, isn't it? You know, we might say that Moses were lacking in obedience, lacking in faith, lacking in confidence, lacking commitment, or at least ignorance of God's ways. But basically, he was lacking in all sorts of ways. And even if we're only right on a few of those things, it's 
certainly not what we would expect of the man who was going to lead the people of God. And God knew all of that before he chose him. So why did God chose, choose a man like um, Moses? I think there are two possible ways that we can try and answer that question. The first thing that we could do, we could, we could try and look for some redeeming qualities. And we know that when um, God chose David to be king in place of Saul, he seemed to be a poor choice compared with his older and more experienced brothers. Um, but the Lord said in 1 Samuel 16 that he doesn't look on the outward appearance, he looks on the heart. In the earlier chapters, we see evidence that um, Moses were, could be a man of courage. We see examples of kindness um, in Moses. Um, so maybe God looked on the heart of Moses and saw something, something good there. Um, he saw that Moses had potential. So that's one way we could try and answer the question. Or alternatively, we could just say it doesn't matter whether Moses had redeeming qualities or not. Whatever his redeeming qualities are, they'd never be good enough. None of us are good enough in our own um, standing to be any use to God. God chose Moses simply because he could. Divine prerogative. And knowing that he would complete a work in Moses, regardless of his strengths and weaknesses. In fact, the weaker Moses was, the better, in one sense. The second Corinthians 12 and 9, the more God's strength is displayed, the more we are weak, um, God's power is made perfect. And that's good news for us, isn't it? Because uh, it means no matter how weak or incapable we might feel, God can and does choose and use us for whatever he wants to do. And, and by the way, we all have potential. So, Negatives. Let's think about the encouragements that God gave to Moses. And these are in addition to everything that we were thinking about last week in chapter, in, in, in chapter 3. Firstly, God condescends to give Moses proof of his power. I say condescend because it, it really shouldn't be an expectation of human beings that we ask God to prove himself, least of all to, least of all to us. But um, God condescended to provide evidence um, of his ability to Moses. The staff that turned into a snake, um, his hands turned leprous, an incurable disease as far as people were concerned, um, and then healed. And then a third one that Moses had to take on trust initially because it was only going to be available to show to the people if they didn't um, believe, and that was taking water from the Nile and turning it into, into blood. For God, these were little things. You know, this wasn't a demonstration of the extent of God's power. It was just showing to Moses that God could do things that human beings can't. He can perform supernatural um, acts. Interestingly, um, it's a bit of an aside, but in verse 29, we learn that when, God, um, when Moses eventually did these signs for the people, the people immediately believed and worshipped. But when Moses saw them for the first time, all he did was come up with more excuses. And the next excuse was, ah, I'm not a very good speaker. I'm not very eloquent. So this time, God reasons with Moses and convinces him 
or should have convinced him that his weaknesses wouldn't be a problem. And God, you know, we read the verses about God is the creator. He creates our mouths, he creates our ears, and, uh, and on our sight, he can surely put words in, in, in one person's mouth. Um, so God reasoned with, um, with Moses here um, that, uh, that he was able to um, help him to, um, to, um, to speak. And then the third thing, uh, with Moses still reluctant, God helps him by reducing the ask. He gives Moses the opportunity of having a slightly smaller role than God had originally um, proposed to him. And he wouldn't have to speak to the people directly. He could just speak to his brother Aaron. Uh, God would still speak to Moses. Moses would speak to Aaron. Aaron would speak to the people. And it would kind of would be something which would just maybe help um, Moses get over his fear a little bit. So three big encouragements from God to help Moses get over his lack of confidence. You know, one of the things I think that the story reminds us of, which is, should be a, a real encouragement to us all, is that we see how gracious and understanding and patient um, the Lord can be with human beings. It says in Hebrews 4 that the Lord Jesus um, can empathise with our, with our weaknesses. He understands them. Um, one of my um, favourite verses, um, that sometimes quoted, is Psalm 103, that says that the Lord has compassion on those who fear him and he remembers that we are dust. He knows that we're made of the dust of the earth. He knows all of our inabilities. So, we were thinking last week that um, we have all of this from God, all of these helps, all of these encouragements, but we mustn't let God's love and grace towards us somehow bring him down in our view to someone that we can either approach irreverently or respond to irreverently. And that's what Moses was doing when he showed his reluctance to do what God wanted him to do. It was an act of uh, irreverence. We were thinking last week of the verse that says that our God is a consuming fire. We should ex approach him acceptably and, and with reverence. Our God is a consuming fire. He expects us to approach and respond to him with reverence and obedience. We saw in verse 14 that Moses actually provoked God's <coughs> anger because of his reluctance. And in verse 24, again, we didn't read these verses, but we learn there that he only just escaped judgment because of his continued failure to circumcise uh, his son. You might have thought that for whatever reason, him and his wife had decided not to circumcise their son up to that point, that having a bit of a reality check that, oh, by the way, the God of Abraham does exist and now he's sending me on a great mission. I better catch up with the things that I should have done and circumcise my son. He still hadn't done it and he was on the way to Egypt. And it says there that God was going to kill him. Well, now God knew what the outcome of that incident was going to be. I don't think it was ever actually likely that Moses was going to, to die because uh, God knew what Moses' wife was, uh, um, would do. But nevertheless, the point is, is that Moses had a bit of a straightener there, didn't he? 
He needed to understand that he was dealing with the Almighty and it was time to stop messing around and to get the job done. So what can we learn for our own lives from this? I think a key thing is, is that no matter how weak we might feel in our abilities, our faith, our background, our levels of confidence, whatever it might be, God still wants us to to serve him. And just as he chose an ordinary staff Moses' shepherd's staff to be a symbol of divine power for the people, so he uses ordinary people to be used for extraordinary purposes, to be symbols of divine power and love in the world uh, around us. And it doesn't matter what we can bring. It doesn't matter what strengths or weaknesses uh, we might have in the eyes of ourselves or in the eyes of other people, whatever feeling, um, failings we might have had um, in, in the past. God can use us to do whatever, whatever he wants to do. We have that lovely verse in Philippians 4 and 13 which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do we believe that? Do you believe that? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So I think that's a really important thing for us to learn from this passage. But the other thing, and it's a similar point to what we made last week, is that in God's anger against Moses, we also have a warning for ourselves, don't we? As it says in Galatians 6 and 7, God cannot be mocked. If we try to take example, advantage of his patience, if we don't take him at his word, if we drag our feet and don't serve him as he expects, then there will be consequences. At the very least there will be tears at the judgment seat of Christ when it's clear how little we've given to the Lord in response to all that he's given to us. But there could be more than that. The Lord may withhold blessing and more. We might even experience the discipline of, of God. And the scriptures tell us about that, don't they? So it won't be pleasant. But if it happens, we should look on it positively because that is a loving father doing what he needs to do to correct his erring children. But how much better for us not to be in that position in the first place by not provoking the anger um, of our God. We have to take God seriously um, as Moses learned to do. So I think there are two, three things really um, that we can take from our passage today. One is a, a recognition that our individual strengths and weaknesses are not important because what God provides to do the things he wants to do makes what we bring to the party really quite almost irrelevant. All we need to really bring is our willingness and God will do all the rest. The second thing is just to recognise that there are so many encouragements in God's word um, that we can help if we've got any reluctance or struggling to believe that God can really be all the strength that we need. And the third thing is that straightener that Moses got that we need sometimes to have, I think, is that um, despite God being a God of love, despite him, all that he's done for us as we've been thinking, uh, thinking about, he's not a... Well, I think I said last week... Um, you quoted it, uh, Nathan. Um, he's our friend, but he's not our mate. Um, he's a God of all compassion, but he's not a soft touch either. He is our God. He is a consuming fire. 
and we should revere, revere him for that. Let's pray.